Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, it says, Then Joshua commanded the officers or the leaders of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you're going to cross over this Jordan to go and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Now remember in the book of Joshua, we've already learned about the commission to Joshua. That's chapter one. Remember, he was told, he was given, if you will, a plan of success. Later, we're going to move from the commission of Joshua to the conquest of the land in chapter 6 through 12. And then there's going to be an apportioning of the inheritance or a dividing of the land in chapters 13 through 21. And the book will end with a final exhortation to live full lives, free lives, to live full and free in the land that's been promised to God's people in chapters 22 through 24. And we would do well to remember that Moses, remember, led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea, leaving behind a life of slavery and bondage. Joshua is going to lead the people through the Jordan and give the people a new beginning and a new life. You know, some people have likened the book of Joshua to the New Testament book of Ephesians. The reason why is because the first three chapters of Ephesians tells us about belief. And the last three chapters tell us about behavior. And here in the book of Joshua, 
Joshua is going to lead the people through the Jordan and give the people again a new life and a new beginning. It becomes a type and a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. You were in bondage and slavery to sin. You have been liberated and freed because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Moses led the people through a grueling generation of wilderness wanderings. Joshua is going to lead God's people through the promised land, laying claim to the inheritance. He is going to be given repeated victory over the enemy. In his book, A Popular Survey of the Old Testament, Norm Geisler writes, quote, Moses led Israel out of bondage, but it was Joshua who took them into blessing. Moses brought them through the Red Sea. Joshua takes them over the Jordan. Moses is a symbol of deliverance, and Joshua the emblem of victory. It's one thing to be redeemed from Egypt, which becomes a type and a picture of the world, but quite another thing to be victorious over the world. Joshua teaches us the lessons that faith is, quote, the victory that overcomes the world, which is a quote from 1 John chapter 4, uh, chapter 5, verse 4. In other words, there's a kind of a victory that you overcome the world. There's a kind of a victory where you overcome the persistence of sin. There's a kind of victory where you no longer have to give in to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. So God has spoken to Joshua in verses 1 through 9. And now Joshua will speak to the people in verses 10 through 15. And then in verses 16 to the end of the chapter, the people will speak back to Joshua. The reason why this becomes important, it becomes a type and a picture of, of spiritual leadership. In what way? In a perfect world, leaders hear from God. And those leaders pass on that information to the people. And the people hear the word of God and respond to the word of God and then communicate the word of God so they believe it and obey it and speak it. And that's a type and a picture of what's happening. So here's Joshua's message. Guess what? In three days, be prepared to move in to your new residence. And I think about those three days of the time from the sacrifice of Jesus and the deliverance of Jesus until a resurrection from the dead. Can you imagine the sorrow and the pain and the captivity to sin? But Jesus himself is going to serve as the sacrifice and he's going to come back to life. So Joshua has a message. He gives a message to Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Joshua remembers the tribe's promises to assist the remaining nine and a half tribes. Now, this isn't going to make sense to you unless you have at least some familiarity with what was going on in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, which we will get to in just a moment. In short, God speaks to Joshua in verse 9. 
Joshua speaks to the people in verses 10 through 15. And then the people speak to Joshua in verses 16 through 18. Spiritual leadership requires a leader. That makes sense to you. Who's going to hear from God. And who's going to depend upon the Lord. And so for a leader to hear from the Lord and then depend on the Lord and then communicate the instructions, this becomes, again, a type and a picture of our Lord Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, my father sent me everything that my father has said to me, I'm going to say to you. And is there an expectation that you're going to hear Jesus and believe that when Jesus says, these are the things that my father is saying. And everything that my father has said to me, I'm going to communicate with you. Joshua simply told the people what God told him. And that becomes, I think, the best kind of a leader. The one who will tell what God is saying about any given situation. So look, Joshua speaks to the people. Look in verse 10. It says, Then Joshua commanded the officers or the leaders of the people, saying, Pass through the camp. Command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you're going to cross over the Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. The time has come. The promise is made to Abraham. The promises made to Isaac and Jacob. The promise repeated to Moses. The promise repeated to Joshua. It's time for the promises to come true and for you to possess what God has promised you. By the way, later Joshua is going to send two scouts to check out the land in, in Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to find out more about that in verse 22 of chapter 2. But Joshua is going to prepare the people. He commands the leaders or the officers, secure food, secure provision. In three days, we're going to cross the Jordan. We're going to possess the land. And he says, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke saying, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Now the three tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh had chosen to live on the east side of the river. Now you may not know about that, but remember when, when Joseph was in Egypt, he received a kind of a double portion, if you will, because of his submission and obedience to the Lord. Jacob took the two children that were born of Joseph in captivity and gave them equal standing and equal right as a, as a full inheritance. In Numbers chapter 32, verses 16 through 24, the tribes sought and obtained permission from Moses to stay in the region. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Numbers in chapter 32, just very quickly. I'm going to turn there so that you understand in part what's going on. So in Numbers chapter 32, beginning in verse 16, 
should have marked it. It says, then they will come near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock, cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes and every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. So let me just give you the short of it. The tribes sought and obtained permission for Moses to stay on the east side of the Jordan. Moses basically says, help me understand what you're saying. Do you mean you wanna stay back here while your brothers go across and do all of the fighting? Are you trying to discourage the rest of the people of Israel from going across to the land that the Lord has given them? The two tribes gave their solemn promise that they were going to fully support the other nine and a half tribes in conquering Canaan. So imagine they're coming right up to the Jordan. They're coming right up to the place where they're going to occupy the land. So in one sense, these tribes become a type and a picture of worldly believers who have a deep and rich spiritual heritage, but they never fully experience the abundant spiritual life and the rest that can only be found in the borders of the place of God's inheritance. Let me put it to you a little bit differently. Imagine you have friends and family who say, I want all of the benefits of being a Christian. I want forgiveness of sin, I want to go to heaven, and I don't want to go to hell, but I also don't want to go to church, and I don't want to read my Bible, and I don't want to belong to a small group. You know, I want all of the benefits of Christianity, but I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't, be, I don't want to be one of those kind of Christians who 24-7 thinks about God and thinks about Jesus and lives for Jesus and loves Jesus. We want to be close to Christians and Christianity, but not too close. Joshua holds them accountable for the promise made to Moses and the Lord. In other words, they begged him and said, you know what? We want all of the benefits of being a part of this spiritual family, but we don't want to go in. Hey, guess what? We, want, we don't want to put our kids in harm's way. Um, when it comes time to occupy the land, we will help you occupy the land. And now Joshua is saying, I'm going to hold you accountable for the promise that you made. And it could very well be that there's people like that in your life. Look, mom, look, dad, look, brother, look, sister. I'm not going to be mean or rude about Christianity. I'll go to Thanksgiving and we'll pray together and we'll do this. And when it comes time, you know, to bring up the kids, we'll raise them right. And so Joshua gives them instructions. Your wives, your little ones... Your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. In other words, these are the tribes that aren't going to occupy the west side of the Jordan, but the east side of the Jordan. He says, but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, 
and help them. In other words, we're going to keep our word, but you're going to keep your word. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest, as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them, then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. In other words, the side of the Jordan that faces the sunrise is the territories east of the Jordan. The place that they're going to occupy is the west side of the Jordan. There's several things that you should know. Number one, the first is Joshua's emphasis on that word rest. It's going to become an important word for the rest of our study as we look at the book of Joshua. The Hebrew word for rest is shakat. Now, there are many great themes in the book of Joshua. One of the great themes in the book is, remember, entering possessing the land. So the land is a great theme. God's promises are a great theme. The covenant is a great theme. Obedience is going to be a great theme. Purity and worship, think about holiness, is going to be a great theme. Godly leadership is going to be a great theme. But so is this issue of rest. Possessing the land is going to lead to God's rest. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the inheritance of the land, possessing the land, and then the rest, R-E-S-T, in the land, become a type and a picture of the gifts and the callings of the promises that are made in Christ. So the inheritance takes two parts the land, and then the rest. The rest becomes a type and a picture of the absence of conflict. Joshua says, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest, in verse 13. And until the Lord has given you your brethren rest like he gave to you, verse 15. In other words, there are people who are going to be satisfied in the place that God has assigned to them. And so he's reminding them of that. Rest includes several important thoughts or, or things or ideas. I want to help you think about this for just a moment. Rest for the Jewish person in this context is going to mean secure borders. That makes sense to you, I hope. Can a country have rest if they don't have secure borders and the enemy is constantly harassing them or declaring war against them or troubling them? And so there's a very real physical meaning to the term rest. Secure borders, peace from enemies, success and prosperity, fruitfulness in the land, trade, economic well-being. Again, rest means fundamentally 
the freedom of the people to go about their daily lives living in peace, able to experience full and productive lives. Imagine you're an Israeli living right now in Israel and you're surrounded by 300 million Arabs to the north, to the south, to the east and the west. And imagine that there is this constant struggle to destroy you. And imagine that there are people within the borders blowing themselves up and killing your children. Imagine they're launching rockets at you, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. Do you think if you lived in a neighborhood, let's put it, make it more personally, imagine your house or your apartment complex or your neighborhood. Imagine the person to the left of you and to the right of you and upstairs and downstairs. Imagine all of them hate your guts and every time they see you, they glare at you and they say, you know what, I just wish you would move. At what point would you start to feel a little bit insecure? So it makes sense to you. Secure the borders, live in a place where you are free and you can live a full and productive life. Later in the book of Joshua, we find the land itself will experience a respite, a rest from war in chapter 11, verse 23, in chapter 14, verse 15. But the Bible allows us also not to just simply think about the physical rest, which is important in the context, but the spiritual rest. And so the writer of Hebrews later is going to use the example of Joshua to talk about the kind of rest that the Christian, that the believer is invited to enter into. We rest in our deliverance and salvation from sin. We have peace of mind and heart and hand, assurance and confidence. The idea being there is a rest because there is purpose and meaning and significance and fulfillment and satisfaction in our life. But think, think, think for just a moment about your life prior to coming to Christ. The emptiness, the darkness, the loneliness, wondering whether or not life was meaningful or or significant, what is real. And so no wonder we quote Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 all the time. You know the passage in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, you know the word, rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest in your souls. You never realize how important that statement is until you've lived a life of restlessness, agitation, pain, difficulty, drama, conflict. In the Old Testament, the Lord promised his people in Exodus 33, 14, my presence shall go with you. I will give you rest. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 116, verse 7, return to thy rest, 
O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me, with thee. We used to sing that. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with thee, has took me from death, mine eyes from tears, and delivered me from all my sinful years. God's taken you. He's taken you from a place of constant agitation to peace. No wonder Augustine understood the restlessness as a part of the human fallen condition. He wrote, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. This is interesting. The reason, do you know when Joshua wrote this? It was about 1400 B.C., 1,400 B.C., 400 years before David and Solomon. But finding peace and finding rest has been an ongoing issue for humanity for a very long time. So Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 develop the theme of rest for the Christian. And for the Christian, Jesus is our rest. The Christian doesn't just simply have a Sabbath day. We have a Sabbath God. We have a Sabbath Savior. This is the argument that the writer of Hebrews gives when he says, our rest isn't in the day that we go to church simply. Our rest is in Jesus we have a full and a final rest. And by the way, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 repeatedly quotes from Psalm 95 and mentions the rebellious generation that perished in the wilderness whose disobedience prevented them from entering into God's rest. And the reason why I think this becomes an important type in a picture, is it possible that you're saved from your sin? You're delivered out of Egypt. You're delivered out of Egypt, but you have a lifetime of wilderness wanderings as you gripe and complain about the difficulty and you constantly struggle with submission and obedience to the Lord. The offer of rest was rejected by that generation and God will make the offer to a new generation but it's an offer that has to be appropriated by each succeeding generation. Now I want you to, again to think about the time frame. How long did the children of Israel wander in the wilderness? 40 years. I want you to think about this for just a moment too. From Joshua chapter 1 to Joshua chapter 24, it's all going to take place over about 24 or 25 years. So the time frame from this first chapter till we come to the last chapter of believing and obeying and entering and occupying the land. It isn't going, they're not going to occupy the land in a day or a week or a month or even a year. It's going to take a time. It's going to take time. But each generation, including our own, is going to be extended the same offer. Will you believe 
God by faith and occupy the place of promise that's been given to you in the person of Jesus. Every single generation is going to be given the same offer. Will you walk with Jesus? Will you walk in his love? Will you rest in his grace and his mercy? Will you walk with him? What will you choose? Because in the end, it's the Lord himself who provides the place of peace, who provides the place of rest. But it begs a question, doesn't it? Are you resting in Jesus? Are you filled with agitation, pain, darkness? Or are you resting in Jesus? Have you given your conscience a rest? Do you live in constant fear of judgment? In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you live in a constant state of fear of death? Remember the psalmist wrote, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Have you experienced rest from the shadow of death? Have you experienced rest from the gripping power of sin? You know, in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 7, we read, Because we sought the Lord, He's given us rest. If you haven't found rest just yet, I would encourage you, seek the Lord. There is a rest, a rest available to the believer. Take my yoke, the Bible says, you shall find rest, Matthew eleven twenty nine. We who believe do enter Rest, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. And so the people respond. Look what it says in verse 16. So they answered Joshua saying, All that you commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Pause for a moment. Remember what Joshua's done. Remember what we talked about the last time we were together. Joshua's at the Jordan and he needs to hear from God. And God speaks. And so he repeats what God has said to him, to the people. And how do the people respond? The people respond with a pledge of loyalty and allegiance that was intended in part to boost the confidence of Joshua in both his call and affirm his ability to lead the people. I got to tell you something. Nothing will affirm and boost the confidence of your pastoral staff than for you to find the men and women in leadership at our church and go, you know what? I've decided that when you ask me to do what God wants me to do, I'm going to actually do it. When you pray for me, 
when you encourage me, when you call me and you say, this is God's plan and this is God's purpose and this is the place that you could enter into by faith, I want to do that. There's going to be nothing that's going to give your pastor greater joy than when you say, I've decided to read the Bible for myself and believe it and then, then live my life as if it's true. And look what it says in verse 17. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. I want you to think about what you just read. Three times between verses 1 and verses 9. Remember, three times the Lord repeated to Joshua. And he said, only he said, be strong and courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. Only be strong and courageous. Now think about this for just a moment. The people said, you say you've heard from God. Well, we believe you. And oh, by the way, be strong and courageous. Do you understand what's happening? The people have the same vision and the same purpose and the same plan that God has already revealed to Joshua. You know what that means? That means that real business can be done. He says in verse 18, Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Praise God for people who are willing to listen to God's leaders, honor God's leaders, and then pray for themselves to receive a vision and direction that's consistent with what God has revealed. Now again, remember one of the great themes in the book of Joshua is going to be this issue of obedience to the Lord. And so think about what the people are now saying. We want to be obedient to the Lord. We also want to be obedient to God's word. We want to be obedient to Moses. And just like we were obedient to Moses, we want to be obedient to you. Now that's a red flag right there because we're the people always obedient to Moses. Were they always obedient to God's word? So is it possible that well-meaning people could say, I want to obey God and I want to obey God's word, but sometimes there's mishaps. There's difficulties and there's setbacks. I think that the answer is yes. But it's important to remember Again, that one of the great themes in this book of Joshua is going to be obedience to the Lord. The law of Moses is going to be mentioned eight times in the book of Joshua. And each time that it's going to be mentioned, it's always in the context and under the idea of hearing the law and obeying the law, either Joshua or the people are urged to obey it. Remember earlier in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, only be strong and of very courage that you may observe to do according to all that the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may be 
prosper. Remember verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night. Remember, we already talked about, talk about the Bible. And when you're not talking about it, be thinking about it. And when you're not talking about it or thinking about it, be prepared to do it. So, they're urged to obey in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. They're going to be urged to obey again in chapter 22, verse 5. Again in chapter 23, verse 26. They're going to be urged to commit themselves to the, to the word of God in chapter 24, verse 24. They're going to be urged to copy and read it in chapter 8, verse 32. They're going to be urged to obey it in chapter 8, verse 31. The point? Possession. Occupation, victory in the land is going to be connected to obedience to God's word. And this is going to be a clue for you. It's something that you should always put in the back of your mind. Success and victory and the promises of God are always going to be linked back to the word of God and obedience to the word of God. And by the way, Israel is going to do fine until they disobey. That's what we're going to discover in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, we see obedience to God's command and then obedience to Joshua's command. And when they follow the command of God and when they follow the commands of Joshua down to the tiniest detail, they're going to be fine. One obvious example of catastrophe is going to take place in the story of Achan in chapter 7. Other examples include when Israel fails to drive out the inhabitants in various territories in chapter 13, in chapter 15, in chapter 16, in chapter 17, in chapter 19. So are there going to be some difficulties and some setbacks? The answer is yes. But when Israel commits to obey God, they're going to be fine. In Corinth, by the way, the church was deeply divided. You'll remember in the opening chapter of the book of Corinthians, Paul pleads with those people, now I'm begging you, all of you should have the same mind and the same heart. And this is what's interesting here. There's no division. There's not two groups of people who say, hey, you know what? We submitted to the leadership of Moses, but we don't want to submit to you. No, they're united in their vision. They're united in their willingness to follow God's command and Moses' successor. The tribes didn't divide. They unite to follow Joshua. Note their prayer in verse 17. We listen to Moses in, in all things. We're going to listen to you. The implication in all things. Only let the Lord your God be with you. And so this becomes the recipe for success. The people agree to obey Joshua 
as they obeyed Moses. They demonstrate faith and hope by a willingness to pray in verse 17, to commit to their commander in verse 18. The people go so far as to pronounce a penalty for disobedience and disloyalty. The people say unconditional obedience on the pain of death. And so, I want to remind you that no leader in his right mind would say, by the way, you should obey me, and if you don't, then you should kill yourself. This is not the kind of leadership you should be looking for in a church. You should be looking for the kind of leadership that Paul talks about in the New Testament when he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me and let my life and my example insofar as it's consistent with the life and the example of Christ. And so in what way, so remember they said, God is with Moses and God is with you. Now, again, just for a moment, because we're almost done. In what way was God with Moses? Was the true and the living God really with Moses? Did he appear to Moses? Yes. Did he actually speak to Moses? Yes. Did he confirm what he said through signs and wonders? The answer is yes. Is God truly with Joshua? The answer is yes. Was the living God of heaven truly with the people of Israel? Yes. In our understanding of the New Testament... Was this same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, truly with Jesus? Did he confirm his words through signs and wonders, proving that he was truly with Jesus? The answer is yes. And so this is where we, we, we think about what does it mean to be with Moses? Well, remember, by faith, Moses, when he was raised in Pharaoh's sister's household, we're reminded in the New Testament, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches or the treasures of, of Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." In the New Testament, Moses, three things, refused. In other words, Moses was willing to say no to Egypt, no to slavery, no to the oppression. And then he was willing to identify with God's people. He was willing to choose affliction with the people of God rather than the pleasures of sin for a season. In other words, Moses models what it means to turn away from sin and choose faith. Joshua will turn away from sin and choose faith. And so it becomes the type in the picture for the Christian believer. We turn away from sin and we choose faith. Joshua was a personal witness to the people's rebellion and division and unbelief and the murmuring in the wilderness. So can you imagine what Joshua must have thought when he heard the people's willingness to promote harmony 
unity, commitment, and a willingness to honor their word to the Lord. And so, the officers pledge loyalty, allegiance, obedience, commitment. Here's what they say. Joshua, if you say it, we'll do it. If you tell us to go here, we'll go here. If you tell us to go there, we'll go there. And again, it becomes a type and a picture of our greater Joshua, Jesus. Jesus, If Jesus invites you to go here, you go here. If he invites you to go there, you go there. Now, again, we conclude. The book of Joshua is going to take place over how many years? 24 years. There's going to be a time of preparation. There's going to be a time of conquest. There's going to be a time of occupation and consecration. In Joshua 11.23, we're going to read, So Joshua took the whole land. Why am I telling you about Joshua chapter 11 now? Because I want you to be patient with yourself. I want you to be patient. Because you might think, there's still some problems in my life. There's still some struggles in my life. There's still some difficulties in my life. There's still things in my life that aren't cooperating with God's plan. Be patient. Victorious living may take time. I want to point one other thing out. Joshua is going to fight many battles in the chapters ahead. Not all of the foes are going to be conquered in exactly the same way. Some are going to be taken by a divine strategy that God will reveal like Jericho when the children march around the walls and they fall. You're all familiar with that story. Some will be taken because the Lord fought for Israel as at Gibeon when the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hastened not to go down about a whole day. There's going to be a miracle. Some foes are like our flesh. And some foes are like things on the inside, spiritual. Some things are external. And some things are internal. Some things we will master. And there are going to be other things that only God can master for us. Some are going to be defeated by prayer and fasting. And others have to be met with bold, unwavering resolve. Remember, the land wasn't conquered in a day or even a year or even at the death of Joshua. Because when we come to the end of the book, we're going to read, there remained yet very much land to be possessed. Some of you may walk with the Lord for a year or five years, 10 years, 20 years, 
maybe even like me, more than 40 years. And I wish I could say to you, oh, by the way, all of the land is possessed in my life. But I can say with complete honesty, there is much land that is yet to be possessed in my life. Remember, crossing the Jordan for many people becomes a type and a picture of going to heaven. But here's what we know. There's no conflict in heaven. The saints don't go to heaven and then battle for possession and an inheritance in Christ. Clearly, for the Christian, Canaan is something else. It's our spiritual inheritance. It's what belongs to us in Christ by obeying God's word, by claiming God's promises, but also by a willingness to engage in the good fight of faith. And that is what this book is going to be all about. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, are you ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's exciting to see that we can only possess what we experience by faith. Lord, we can only obtain and walk in the promises if in humility and sub sub submission we're willing to hear from you, listen to what you have to say, and then be willing to obey you in the promises that have been given to us. Lord, we understand that it's going to take patience and fortitude. And that for some things in our life, it's going to take conflict, it's going to take battle, but it's also going to take miracles. And so, Lord, we look forward <laughs> to the future. Lord, we want to be grateful for what you've given us today and hopeful for what we'll have tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.